Then our season is back and it is back in a way quite unlike any other with a season kickoff in Las Vegas, Nevada. It will be featuring the people's team, the Manly Seagulls. We are coming to you live from Manly now, playing everyone's favourite background jerseys, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. That'll be followed by the only team will go to Vegas and think that it's cheap, the Sydney Roosters, and the NRL's equivalent of the WWE, the Brawl and Brisbane Broncos. Here on the brand new Raw Rugby League podcast, you'll realise that we don't do week to week. We do deep dives that really get to the heart of the topic. And for that, we need the best possible guests. In that sense, we cannot do any better than David Newey, the godfather of Rugby League in the United States, who's been banging the drum for the greatest game of all since at least the mid-1990s. And who was the first, he, played, he was the player coach in the first ever USA national game in which they lost to my beautiful Irish boys. Great looking ball boys that day. David played first grade for St. George in league and union and knows more about the greatest game of all in the United States than just about anyone else on earth. He also had a stellar career in sports marketing across AFL, rugby union, and a host of other sports, including like said, fencing. So who better to chat to about what, the, what this game means for both NRL and rugby league in America? David, thanks for coming on. Thanks, mate. Great introduction. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, and the walk down memory lane with that USA Ireland game. It's wonderful time. It's on YouTube. I'm going to tweet it on YouTube for just me, you, and for Mark Flanagan, once at the West Tigers, but who was also a ball by that day in the RFK Stadium in Washington, I think. Oh, RFK Stadium, yeah. Wonderful, wasn't it? Fantastic. It was. And uh, so I think that's the obvious first question. Is on a scale of one to excited, how up for, you, how up for this game are you? Because this yeah. is going to be the greatest thing that's ever happened to rugby league in America. Totally excited. I think it's you know it's one of a number of things that have been wonderful. It's been for the game in, in this country, but probably the biggest, the largest scale in terms of exposure and marketing and attention. Um, I think everyone can really find an opportunity to benefit from that, and I hope that's the case. And the most of the build-up that we've read about it, obviously mostly on this side of the world in Australia, has been about what America can do for the NRL. But I'm kind of more interested in what the NRL can do for America because it is, you know, we're all told here, you know, if we only got 1% of the market, that would be so much. But mm. I kind of see it the other way around. And for someone like yourself who's been, you know, an evangelist for the game over there, what is the effect that, that bringing, you know, real live NRL fixtures to Vegas can have on, on rugby league in America? I think it's what you just said. I really believe that. I think there's a lot of guys involved in the game here, stakeholders that care about it on all, all, all different parts of the country from the West Coast to the East Coast who I'm watching, you know, and observing that they're engaged in the process of trying to understand how they can maximise uh, the exposure of this game at the highest level, um, the activities that will go on around the game at the event, the people that they can meet, the um, relationships that they can build both externally from the clubs that are coming over and then here locally. You know, I think there's a chance for everybody to try and, and I think if they're and they care about the game as much as we all believe they do, they'll do that. They'll all reach out and they'll try and put their arms around this thing for their own benefit. That's something that's... Like, this isn't the first foray that rugby league's had into America. Obviously, we've had, you know, from 1995, but there was prior to that, there was Wigan played Warrington in Milwaukee. We've had um, another... Rhinos played South in Jacksonville. We've had the Mile High Test in Denver. I'm wondering, from your perspective, you've been through it all. What what makes this different from, from those sort of... I don't want to call them false false stones, but sort of promising things that never eventuated too much? I think it's the fact that, you know, being told and I have every reason to believe that it's a longer-term plan. You know, this is year one of five years' commitment. So I think what year one, as I've said before, will look different to the, the coming years. So if everyone has a little bit of patience and they're prepared to cooperate, I think there's a chance for everyone to understand how that might be able to be beneficial to them. Now, what, what does that mean? It might mean that 
more players get more or more athletes get access to being able to understand what rugby league is. So instead of us just talking about it, we can point to this, you know, large tentpole event where, as you mentioned, these four big teams come to, to Vegas to showcase rugby league at its highest level. You know, there's a combine around it, which means that that may in of itself identify athletes who have to come from somewhere. They're going to come from different locations around the country, which in of themselves may have some existing rugby league presence or, or they may not so the players are going to be able to you know have an opportunity to learn and play the game a little bit more and, and then there's all the other elements around that with the masters just different p- parts of the game different layers of the game different people involved in different areas can, can get some deeper access and, and larger opportunities i think if everyone just keeps understanding that it's just not coming in for a, for a one one-off an event and then leaving uh, they can find a way to to commit and, uh, and cooperate I think that's, you've mentioned it there that the the ability to have that moment around which everyone can coalesce, like rugby league in America has been going in various states and forms for many years, but trying to get everybody on the same page at the same time has kind of been a problem, even you know rival competitions. And mm. I think maybe it's worth in your experience sort of just explaining to to people who aren't au fait with everything American rugby league, like how difficult it's been. Obviously, I mean, like Australia is a big country, but America is an absolutely massive country, and just yeah. having I know you, there's been. Jacksonville, Philadelphia, California Rugby League, and like even getting those guys in one place at one time is a logistical nightmare before yeah. they start falling out with each other, which Rugby League people, as anyone who's been in Sydney Rugby League or British Rugby League will know, yeah, British right. Rugby League people can fall out with each other in empty rooms. So just yeah. what have the challenges been over the years in terms of just building that continuity, unity, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I think it's scale. It's been trying to understand and managing scale and expectation. So, you know, when we started, we started in, in Philadelphia and tried to centralise it and then grow out. And then as that happened, interest came from guys like myself that had, you know, experience or familiarity of rugby league. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't all live close together. You know, in the competition in England, teams, are, you know, in cities and clubs and towns are, are a little bit closer, whereas we have a, a massive population here, as you know, of over 300 million people. 50 states that sometimes operate, you know, like Europe, as separate countries. The the tyranny of distance can be a challenge and then the tyranny, and then the, the weight of expectation that, that follows uh, any type of beginning. You, you know, you start the game and it gets a little bit of interest. Automatically people think that, you know, it should be in every state. It should be played, you know, everywhere and, and as much as you can. But as you and I both know, the economics of that, the resources to support that, they just don't don't exist until you actually, you know, roll your sleeves up and, and, and you know, align a field and wash your jersey and, and recruit players and then work on education and development of, you know, understanding the game. All of those things take time. And I think, you know, with respect, I said this before, it, it's like, um, you, you know, industry. You know, everyone automatically thinks if this was the oil industry, you know, there's a lot of hard work at, at, at the at the front end, you know, of, of trying to, you know, drill for oil, you know, speculate for oil, look for it, you know, you know, develop it. But everyone expects that, you know, that the on-stream product where, you know, just put the gas in the car and we're all happy and now we've got a functioning business. These steps take some, some time and some real commitment. And a lot of the times the people that are involved are very enthusiastic at the start, which is fair, which we all are, a bit, bit like this event. And then when you realise the challenges that are associated with it, you sometimes, they lose stamina and it gets hard, but sometimes you just have to see it through. And I think if everyone continues to see this one through with the support of a larger governing body like the NRL potentially, 
and then the International Federation that, you know, and then the Super League potentially could be part of this event over time. There can be a lot of global uh, support to help local development. Yeah, I, I remember actually I'm, so I've, having played in the Netherlands competition, it was hard enough. And yeah. that's in the Netherlands where there's Rotterdam, Amsterdam and Den Haag and they're, you know, yeah. half an hour on the train away from each other. Right. And then I was, I remember going with them, um, Peter Illfield, who was the previous coach of the USA team, also yep. based in Philadelphia. And me and my mate were going from Philadelphia to Brooklyn. And he just drove us there because he was driving to Boston for a game, him and his mate. Right. And you're thinking, that is longer probably than any trip in British rugby league. Like yeah. if you went from Hull to Cumbria, which yep. would be about as long as you could go in a, you know, a National Conference League game or whatever. Like yeah. He does that for just an average game, but that's not him going to Florida or... Or anywhere else. It's just that you the the ability to build a pathway in that is so difficult. But I'm interested though, you mentioned the combine, because this is something that I think a lot of people from a I know from Leeds Rhinos briefly thought of it from a Super League perspective as well. And everyone thinks, well, there's so many athletes of a college football, high school football, blah, blah, blah. And I think this is something that the US experiment, if you want to call it that, from the NRL. A lot of people will see that as something that they can do is if you can get, you know, even a small percentage of the athletic talent available within the American football system, yeah, like that's got to be worth something to, you know, South or Manly or whoever it is who actually signs up. And, and obviously you've worked in, you've worked with these athletes before. And I know even back to the Glenn Mills days when you were coaching very, very young kids, like, can you maybe give us an insight into what that talent yeah. pathway could potentially look like? I think I think the name, the word combine and the whole tryout process is an exciting marketing and branding tool, so to speak. So it can engage athletes across you know a number of sports. I think it can be misleading as well. I think people think automatically, you know, the next best athletes out of the top tier sports are going to come raining down upon us because they see you know a quick opportunity. I know from experience that that's not always the case. All right, we can look, look look a lot deeper and a lot further than just the cohort of athletes that missed out on the NFL. You know, across other sports, there's di different divisions and different layers of, of of the sporting, you know, hierarchy here that that, that we can find athletes um, to potentially be rugby league, you know, athletes and rugby league players. But I think that the benefit is the longer term benefit is the guys that are going to come in, girls, and I should mention girls because that's a big part of the plan as well the ones that are going to get a chance to go to Australia, that's wonderful. But I think there's going to be some benefit from those that have applied because now they're exposed and, and there's a, there's a quite a good basis of information on that combine application and the website, give them a better understanding of rugby league itself. And if they miss out, they're going to experience not just the combine, but they're going to see this rugby league at the highest level. And then hopefully that, that interest is maintained because they'll go back to somewhere in this country where there's a little bit of rugby league, whether that's in Chicago or whether it's in Pennsylvania or the mid-Atlantic or whether it's in the, you know, northern or southern California or, or in the Midwest, as I mentioned, the northeast, or whether it's in, you know, the southwest through Utah and, and, and Nevada in that region. There's a, there's, there's a lot of opportunity around the combine that I think is a really significant long-term um play that I hope that these the NRL see through. And what, what is it what I mean by that? It could be a year-round project that it actually could be a location 
where athletes aren't just brought in for this one combine, they could brought, be brought in for several over a period of, you know, every month. Um, and then there's coaching and there's skill specific instruction where they can be, you know, educated at a far, far more advanced and, and, and considered and dedicated level. And then the coaches or the CEOs or the general managers from each of the clubs, and it doesn't have enough to be the NRL, Super League, you know, from New Zealand all over the world can come and watch these athletes. So I think if they looked at it from that perspective and, and what what am I, you know, the international player pathway that the NFL have in, in Florida, it could be reverse engineered to, to um, be rugby league specific. I think there's a really, really, really good case for that to, to, to happen. Well, you know, you just reminded me there a story I did many years ago with a guy called Jay Smiley who played for Swinton Lions in the UK, and he attended the NFL combine yeah. as a running back. Mm-hmm. And he went, obviously, he'd been playing second second and third grade rugby league in, in England. Yeah. I, was, I think he was, a, he was a winger in rugby league. I think he wanted to be a running back or a wide receiver. And he didn't make it, but then he ended up playing American football in England and then went yeah. back the next year. Yeah. So, even if he never was anywhere near making making the NFL, he found the sport of American football gained an, an essentially a professional level athlete yeah. in their own competition. And I just wonder if that's that might be the long term legacy um, is that it gives if every if it takes in two hundred athletes who then become two hundred people or even a hundred people playing in the comp, yeah. the level of athletic ability to get to the combine. Would put them in among being the best players in the comp, and suddenly the U.S. national team Stronger. gains a hundred extra players. And you know, I know the um, the Canadian national team gained players, especially on the women's side as well. Like yeah. they all gained players because of this. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things we saw there was a bit of a Ferrari over here that they sent Spencer Lenu down to a sort of Polynesian yeah. focused camp, and they were saying, well, it was a rugby union team. They're saying, well, there's so many rugby league teams you could have sent them to. And one of the things that I think is kind of, I've not seen it spoken about very much, is that Nevada and Utah, which is the next, I really don't know, Joe, is the next state over, yep. have got the biggest oh, Polynesian oh. and Melanesian communities, mm-hmm. which is above 50% of the NRL now. And there's more Polynesians, Polynesian Americans, than there are Polynesian Australians. Yeah. So, in terms of net numbers, and the NFL obviously has got many Polynesian players. And you think, if I was, if I was setting up a combine from scratch, it wouldn't be the high school athletes I'd be going through. They, the low-hanging fruit would be the people who already, you know, we saw in the Rugby League World Cup, the street parties in Utah of Samoan Americans. Yeah. And I'd be going to those people with guys like Spencer and you, or, you know, the plethora of amazing Pacific athletes that we have and saying these are the these can be their heroes more readily than Tom Draborovic can, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It makes total sense. And you, you mentioned, you know, low-hanging fruit or, or whatever phrase there is for it, it makes sense. I'll give you an example. When we were developing, when I was part of an organization developing American football in China, you think about that. You put American football and China in the one sentence, it's kind of, are you crazy? But you think about this massive population of some, you know, 3 billion people. You think of a sport that hadn't really had no uh, basis of operation in, in that large um, country. We had to identify who were the athletes that we were going to try and um, identify. And we went from this population of 300 million down to about 150, or whatever the number, 1.5 billion males. How many lived in urban areas? How many were young males between a certain age that were interested in sports? And we went after that, that audience. 
and we went after it hard and we found that we could build a college and university competition from there and ultimately a professional league. But that's a critical factor. You've got to go after. And in this, in this case, probably as we mentioned, the initial adopters are expats like us. Yeah. And then it's, it's the Polynesian and Pacifica communities. So if you can market to them and, and, then, and, and then be able to um, present them an opportunity, then we can get them engaged. And if it's adults or if it's if it's if it's um, young parents who have children, then you can work the you know the bottom up. Then you get a grassroots program because they'll get their kids to play. And I think I saw that way way back when when I saw soccer evolving in America. You know, there was a lot of expats, a lot of foreign people back in the in the early nineties. It's now grown into major league soccer, which is quite a significant professional sport here. But it was generational. You know, you would see that their kids played. And that was something I always thought about my kids that, and my mates' kids. You know, when we were running around against your dad with those crazy tomahawks or the Patriots when they were back then, I was the only guy that had kids. You know, they were all young men, all the other guys, but they all have kids now. And that whole class of guys have kids that are interested. In fact, one of our players has two of his sons have been selected to join the combine. So, so as you mentioned, that you know, word of mouth, that evangelist, um, that local development, it, it shouldn't be overlooked because it's, it, it's very, very uh, impacting. And it's, yeah, I think it's been something that's, it's overlooked, like it's all well and good saying, you know, you can seed a sport in any place, right? You can convince people to like, you know, anything. But I know, for, for example, in the Netherlands, where I was playing rugby league, the fact that we could go and play English teams, well, even if it was once a year and it was like a lads on tour, Bit of a pistol. Yeah. But that kept, and then suddenly you could show, like, you know, when the World Cup final was on, we had players go over from, you know, Dutch guys from the Netherlands competition who think, well, this thing we play in front of nobody and you're scrabbling to get 13 players on the side. Yeah, I know and then suddenly you go to the World Cup final and there's 70,000 people, or the Challenge Cup final, or the Grand Final. Yeah. And that's just not an option for America. Like previously, that wasn't an option for America. It was easy for us because you could get the train from Amsterdam or the, yeah, the Ryanair over to London. Yeah. And this idea that you could have a once a year in Las Vegas if it was consistent. Yeah. Um, and I wonder what's like, I feel like that is the, that's the point of the pathway, the most high profile bit, but it will be, you would hope that in five years, it's the least important part, right? It's yeah, the most yeah. important part will be all the other stuff that happens in well, you, aiming to get to that. You created the shape right there. It's the pyramid, isn't it? So at the top, it's the big bang. It's the NRL that are coming in and they're going to put on this monstrous, event for everyone to attract the attention to and then as we've moved further down somewhere in there there's a combine so we can attract athletes somewhere in that pyramid and down below we hope that all these things have a have a, 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 a resolute benefit that it trickles down that the bottom becomes bigger that mine and your kids and my friends kids and other people's families and friends get interested whether wherever they are in america so that the base becomes larger if we can do that it's wonderful the problem has always been it's kind of been a bit inverted, Mike. It's been upside down. You know, you know what I mean? It's kind of been like, let, let's try and do all these things as much as we can in all these places all over the country when we can. And we just haven't had the benefit, the resources to do that. You said it earlier and, and it reminded me and it made me realise how tough it actually was. When we played in the general area of Philadelphia or going to D.C. or New York or Boston, even that was a trek in of itself. It was a couple mm. hours drive back and forth. Then we added teams from Florida. And then we had to try and add that travel component by the air. So it's just trying to get that balance right. Like, How can we, as we get all excited, which I am about what's happening at the top, 
what's happening at the bottom that we can try and make sure we maximize the benefit that as the big show leaves town, this stuff here that everyone's actually actively on the ground involved in has the support it needs, um, has, has the commitment that it needs from those local stakeholders to keep it going till the next big party comes to town. And I think I wonder what the the um, if you you can explain a little in terms of the sort of the you know, obviously there's a massive amount of distance involved, right, which incurs cost across all mm-hmm. things. And I know that the, the National Rugby League, you could go to them and say, we need some footies and they'll send you some footies, but they can't subsidize 25 clubs going from New York to Florida, for example. That's just not within the gift of rugby league. And I don't I, mean, I don't think it's the NRL's job to do that either. No, but they, in terms of um, the way that it's been sold here a little bit is that it's a crack at the gambling market, yeah. which maybe, I mean, we can talk about that in a bit maybe, and that, and that it's, you know, trying to drive subscribers to watch NRL in terms of the, the overseas app onto the Foxtel, the, te- the televised product. And that's kind of why why it's been in the interests of the 17 NRL clubs who ultimately make the decision and Peter Volandes and Andrew Abdo and all these people. But you think of a fraction of the cost of that in terms of, um, say, the cost of flying the referees over or setting up the technology to make the bunker work or all these little incidental things. Say that costs $100,000. That $100,000 would mean the world to USA yeah. Rugby League. And it's it's kind of, if you, you need to, we need to make sure that the argument that says that, okay, you're willing to invest however many million dollars and essentially likely lose money, at least on year one, of the Vegas NRL experiment, but it yeah. wouldn't take you very much seed funding afterwards to, to miss a massive... Yeah, to make what is a potential, that's the opportunity cost is high, you know. Yeah, that's, that's fair, mate. Oh, look, I think that's the argument everywhere. I think grassroots and country rugby league in Australia are going to make the same case. People are like, look, yeah. you know, the NRL are making, they're showing us their balance sheet, they're showing how much money they're generating. What about us? And I think that's fair. You know, everyone understands that they like get a, get a piece, but I'm a believer, I think, in that trickle-down piece as well. If they can really show that they have a case to be made for a, a successful business model here from the top. And if they're those things that you said, more people subscribe to the app, more people watch the game here, more television revenue is generated. There's more of the pie to share around. Without those things, without having a crack at those things, there'll never be anything. There'll never be that opportunity to try and derive some type of dividend or benefit from that larger pie at the top. So. That's why I've been excited, mate. That's why I've been an evangelist for it. Because without it, if they do nothing, nothing happens. And I'm not going to be disrespectful about international rugby league at all because I've been part of that whole thing. But it feels sometimes, mate, that it's like that. It's like the problem's so hard that everyone sits on their hands and it's like, and it's silence and no one does anything. And guys who love international rugby like us would love to see the USA again shock the world and play somewhere. They get left out. Everything goes quiet and Australia plays England, England plays New Zealand, France get their ass kicked by England. You know what I mean? These sort of things happen. Mm. And the rest of the rugby league world, which the numbers are growing, it it kind of left the fend for themselves. And we have to do the best that we can. And sometimes that involves serious, serious commitment from individuals like myself or John Morgan before me who invested in these things to try and grow it and build it with very little help around it. So we've got to find out what the balance is. So if the NRL come in and they are able to show, you know, a profit from this or if they break even in year one or year two and year three, that they're, they're, they're starting to generate a margin, a profit margin, 
yeah, then maybe it's fair for the, the governing body in this country to say, hey, hey, don't forget about us. You give us a little and we can utilise that to, to, to share around in, in our, you know, local competitions and our local development, then it's only going to benefit you in the end because what does that mean? This means more eyeballs that are going to watch the content that you're driving into this, uh, this marketplace. So we've all got to be able to try and find a place where we can cooperate. I think if those things are happening, we're in a good place. If they're not, then maybe it could end up, you know, and like it has before, like things can come and go and, and, and we don't quite get the, the, um, the end result that we're looking for. You might end up with, you know, not to use the pyramid analogy, but if you end up with players playing and you end up with 20 guys in a team in Utah playing 20 guys in a team in Nevada, around that grows interest in the wider sport from people who aren't actually playing at all. You get wives, mothers, partners, girlfriends, whatever, mm-hmm. and then their kids and so on. And suddenly you've built an ecosystem. And even, you know, this is this was something that in Europe you could see that, you know, guys who, I mean, obviously I play in the men's team, but there is women's rugby league in the ones as well. Yeah. who had never, they wouldn't have known rugby league existed, yeah. who suddenly started watching the NRL and bought Watch NRL because, not because, and they would show you videos on their phone of like, you know, this is paying ass doing this, how do I do that? Or, you know, yeah. that's, that is. That's the one thing that the game can never, ever, ever underrate itself. Mate, it's a product that transcends sports. Or, like, you just have to be a sports fan and see the action, the contact, the ferocity and the speed of the play and have respect for like, wow, what did I just see? Right. They, that, that's, I think that's the, the hook they can hang their hat on is that that, that stuff is going to resonate. This stuff that they put together, these promos with Russell. And I thought it was magnificent because I thought I'd love to have had that years ago, but it graphically and visually it was in, and then his voice, it was engaging. But it was so simple. Like, this is our game. This is what it looks like. But none of that mattered without the the bang and the crash. Yeah. It gets your attention first. And what your to your point, I just think it's 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 something that's going to get people's attention. And and for it to be really successful, mate, guys like us and my friends or my circle talking in a phone booth about the game aren't enough. We need the ones that are outside of our circle and outside of our sport that will come over and come across. I think that's when you see the real change. And this, do you know, I just I think it's interesting to talk about the market inside of it a little bit because I know you've worked in that. I've worked in not in sports marketing, but marketing in general as well. And there's this big idea of snackable content, right? Of the which mm-hmm. is the four second video, and yeah. no sport makes four second videos like rugby league does. You know, we've okay. just seen at the time of recording this. We're just recording this after the first round of Super League, where Super League have engaged the marketing company. Oh, what about it? And, which oh, is oh, and suddenly. These events that were three games that were on Sky and three games that weren't on Sky have now all six games are of Sky level, you know, cool. like, what, like what we're used to with KO and, and Foxtel in, in Australia. We were having 50% of the competition Super League filmed off two cameras. Yeah. And there was no bunker, nothing. So it looked rubbish. And every great try and every big hit was had one angle and it was rubbish. And suddenly we've seen uh, Tarek Sims, Crease, oh. and George Williams has gone around the world with the French commentary. And the French right. commentary makes it right. 10 times better. And you know we don't. And I know if you, you know, as a soccer, as a soccer fan, there's only thing better than watching Argentina score is then searching the Argentinian commentary of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's something oh, that we can. Yeah, sensational. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I really hope we get Andrew Voss on the uh, on the call in Vegas because he's yeah, he's he's usually the best one in terms of coming yeah. up with a good line. I think. Um, but they, yeah. that's the important thing is that when we, you can make that video out of with Russell Crowe explaining the rules and Russell Crowe saying this is what rugby league is, but you could make that video every single week with with new content. Yeah. Because of how much stuff happens, and I think yeah. it's it's very easy to show. Um, to show new people. And this is kind of, we mentioned sort of fishing where the fish are in terms of Pacific community and, and the great Pacific representation we have in our game. But yeah. in terms of the, the difference in quality when you show somebody Major League Rugby or the Six Nations, the difference between what a clip looks like and what the actual game looks like is vast to Rugby League in terms of Rugby League backs up. The, if you see one clip of Rugby Union, you can go, well, that's really skillful. Yeah. But then you have to watch a game and it's 20, you know, it's 30 minutes in play and it's a lot of penalties, yeah. which is very much, I understand that's why purists like it. But in terms of if you've never seen it at all, rugby league does have that advantage of being a slightly more similar to American football in terms of the downs and just a lot more going on. Like right. bowling play times nearly twice as much. And I think that's something that this potentially can bring to a, a much wider, that you know, that you wouldn't have had in, in the 1990s, for example. Not, not at all. And you're right. You know, that's the advantage. We have all this content now. Russell made that piece as a five-minute piece and it's been reduced to 30 seconds and it's modified for whatever need it is. But that's stuff that you and I and anyone else that's involved in rugby in America can now catch and pass, give it to somebody else. Whereas before we talked about it a lot, we had to try and find a VHS cassette, send it in the mail, check this stuff out, and that was the, the, the view of it. But now it's instant. And I think being able to capture that and maximise that it's it's so so critical especially here you think about this game people might not realize this but the games on march the second here in the u.s there used to be a rugby sevens tournament which i was associated with in the same city and it's part of the reason why we helped advise them to come here it was very successful it was part of that 12 stop thing that the international yeah yeah but it made sense mate why because it was a modified version of rugby that was captured into seven minutes seven players on seven and they were dynamic actions, right? And, and what do you call them? Um, snackable moments. But it was a destination location that brought all these people into one place. They all had interest in rugby to, to come and watch. So they got 80 or 90,000 fans over three days. And that's true because I was there and they had um, broadcast contracts with ESPN and NBC. The NRL are now landing in Vegas because the sevens were taken out of Vegas and relocated to LA. That event will be on the same weekend as the NRL doubleheader. I don't think it's by accident. I don't think the NRL cared, but I think World Rugby decided, like, oh, that leg of our sevens, um, now we know those guys are playing in Vegas. We're going to put ours on that date the same weekend. So it'll mm. be very interesting to see, you know, the numbers, how they stack up. So I think that might give you an indication of, you know, where the bums are sitting and, and where the shift might be with interest in rugby in this country. And we say rugby in general, right? We know that rugby union's well-established here and rugby league's been working hard to get its, its, you know, stake in the ground as well. But, you know, the whisper that I hear and the noise that I hear out in the community is there's a lot of curious people about this rugby league event and a lot of curious athletes who are like, the more I watch these games and the more I see at the top level that a guy like Andy Farrell rugby league guy, now coaches the British and Irish Lions, now coached Ireland to all that success. 
you know, people like him, Sean Edwards, they're starting to realise that this whole conversation that used to be in the 90s when I first came about rugby league v rugby union is someone else's fight. Athletes mm-hmm. look for opportunity. Um, sports fans are looking to be entertained. And they're starting to turn, mate. They're starting to see this content. That stuff that went around with the guys, you know, when the NRL first dropped down in Vegas and they pushed out some promo pieces and I helped in my circle share it around and everyone, what they do, they share it as well. That stopped people dead in their tracks because at the same time there were promotions about the Six Nations on um, coverage here with NBC, which was behind a paywall, the content, the content be able to see. But it's just in the American community, people would look at one and look at the other. They'd be like, I watched this one where they tackle each other and they all pile on top of each other. Is that the one? I'm like, no, this one's a little bit more like American football. We'll keep the ball for a series of possessions or downs just like they will in America's game. And then they're like, oh, I get it. Because in this country, in this, you know, let me put this in a, in a polite way, culturally, they don't really want to give things away. They want to keep it. So the mm-hmm. thought of when you pass the guy, when I pass you the ball and you kick it, and that guy back there catches and he kicks it back, it, yeah. sends, it sends them crazy. They're like, what are they doing? Yeah, we're ours where it's me, I run into you, tackle, I get up, play the ball, the next guy comes, the next guy comes, the next guy comes. That's the advantage. I feel like there's that use it or lose it tactical aspect is something that, you know, there's, there's, it's all well and good to watch the sports as, you know, if you ever watch a sport where you don't know the rules, like if I watch, I saw you know, <laughs> I love, actually, actually, I was going to say something, but I love ice hockey. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you watch the, you watch the Olympics and suddenly you're watching team handball yeah. or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I've got no idea what's going on. I'm just watching it bounce back and forth and sort of trying to work out. Of course, within half an hour, you're an expert and you're going, well, he's rubbish, he's rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's easier when you have like a, like when I moved to this country, for example, having, you've met my mother, she's Irish. So I grew up playing Gaelic football alongside yeah. rugby league. Mm-hmm. And when I went to watch the AFL, I had a filter to put Aussie rules through. Right. This is similar to Gaelic football. Therefore, yeah. you know, it's, it's not one-to-one, but you can kind of go, okay, so this right. guy... Is trying to do that or whatever, yeah, and I feel sense. like it made a little bit more sense. And I feel like that's something that rugby league innately has more than rugby union does yeah. in, in America. And that's, but what you mentioned there about the sort of lack of the Cold War stuff is, is very much true. I think in um, in my experience in development territories in rugby league, like you made jokes. We had British players on the team, Australian players on the team, or we would make sort of rugby union jokes about them drinking pints of each other's piss and whatever. <laughs> yeah. And the Dutch guys were just like, what are you on about? Like we, we play this one Saturday and we play the other next and it didn't matter to them whatsoever. And they thought it was all very weird that we didn't yeah. see. It was like, they would say, well, what's the difference if I play basketball on Tuesday and football on Thursday? Like, right. who cares? And I think that's something that rugby league, um, that the NRL has been very cautious of not, like they're not presenting themselves on the level of this yeah. is a rugby you haven't heard of. Uh, right. So this is the other type of rugby. They're doing it as this is rugby, the best version of it. Come yeah. and watch it. Like, yeah, I think it's smart, right? It's smart. And they're conversations we've had for years. You know, we, we learned quickly that there was no point trying to poke the bear or take on established rugby union infrastructure and fight with them. For what reason? Because why we already understand what our product is we already understand what theirs was we're just trying to get access so it was the same shape ball on the same you know similar sized field 
and things that they're already familiar with. Exactly. That's um, just just to wrap up. I'm, I'm, you mentioned I, I, you mentioned the rugby union tournament. So I'm now going to be looking at the attendances and going. I wonder what they got compared to them. But um, and that's more me. That's my way of thinking. You know. But um, I wonder what's what are your expectations for success? Because I know that rugby league. I know what rugby league fans are right. They'll look at how many people watched it on TV, how many people bought tickets. But I feel like this is a more. It's a loss leader for one for the NRL. This is year one of year five, right? And it's. Um, it's a very holistic exercise that won't be measured in that. So I'm interested as someone who's got a, you know, you're going to have a view of this. It is deeper than just how many people bought a ticket and bought two pies. Sure. Um, make sure they get them for Vegas. So that's the important part. Of, <laughs> they need to get some pies. Um, but get a big thing of four and twenties or whatever, or Billy's or Gala. Put Sean Garlic on it. Salsa play. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. What's what? What would constitute success for you? Like, what does a successful year one in vegas for the nrl look like to the for the american rugby league enthusiast all right i'll answer it two ways the second part would be is that they come back right that's a success if they invest in coming back for year two and play whatever number of teams they'll play again in the combine and the football festival all those things are talked about for the next 12 months that's success the initial part i think it's about I think this is really important. This is why I've been trying to push this case is that if you love it and you care about it, you got to show up. You have to show up. We have to have a fan base there because that'll generate the support that the NRL needs. If 15,000 people show up for this game, the NRL are going to be under tremendous pressure from optics that it's like, listen, this might be in the too hard basket. And if the app doesn't move and the things that they're looking for to generate, you know, um, improving their bottom line. If those things don't work, if those things don't, you know, pass muster in the next finance meeting, whatever I mean, it's going to be a battle. That's the truth, mate. We can talk about these things all the time. There were the, the Four Nations Rugby League or the different tournaments that we've seen come in and come and go. And, and, and we've got to be able to, as rugby league people and, you know, people who care about it, be able to make sure that what are the things that we can do and that is get people to this game. Find all the fans, find all your friends, get everyone through this, into this stadium. And then we're going to prove a point that there's an audience and a market for you. One. Two is that if you can't get there, obviously not everyone can, you've got to watch it on TV. It's live. They're giving you the opportunity to watch it live on Fox Sports 1, which is a channel that can be found readily here. It's not like it's out in the, in the, you know, the distance there and you've got to try and pay for it or, or whatever. They're the things. And then in terms of success, I haven't really thought about it, mate, beyond those things because in my mind, that's the kicker. You know, I've got a little bit of inside information and I know the numbers and the tickets, are, they're trending in a positive direction. I think people are going to be surprised. I've experienced the Vegas event where when they've got 90,000 fans over the course of the three days, the walk-up ticket sales have been really significant. And what does that mean? Well, I'm from a Pacifica heritage, mate, you know, and, and grew up in a community, a family, where we didn't have a lot, you know, but you spent your money on the things that you thought were important to you. So we didn't really pre-purchase a ticket. We'd show up, right? So on game day, and we'd come in numbers. And I really think there's going to be a large, large, large Pacifica attendance because, as you mentioned, Nevada, uh, sorry, Utah, Arizona, Southern California, Northern California, they're not that far away from Vegas. And that Vegas event for the Sevens, they were calculating somewhere between seven and 10,000 walk-ups on a daily basis. 
So again, we've got that rugby event in on the sevens in, in California that might throw a, you know, a, a, a little wrench in, in things, but I don't think so. I, I think if these guys can put together a crowd somewhere in the vicinity of 40,000 fans, you've got to think that's successful yourself, mate, as a fan of the game. Wouldn't you think so? Just oh, like- no, yeah. I think for me, it's I, I, I put a sort of cheeky tweet about this when Wigan, Wigan sold out against the Panthers next week and they had more mm-hmm. tickets sold than Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of going, only because I knew that Wigan had um, had requested to be part of it. Yeah. I said, well, if we're playing the Panthers, let's play them in Vegas. Next and I wonder yeah. in the next, that's the next logical step is when you bring in the other Mate, think, think about that as a location, as a destination location. Conor McGregor fights, where they come from? They'll come from Ireland. They'll come yeah. from the UK to support. You build this, yeah, Bricky Hatton. You build this long enough and give it the commitment, fans will come. Add some Super League teams. You you could What's call it if, if you if if they said in advance that the World Club Challenge was going to be held in Vegas. Mm-hmm. You, they would be calling the Super League playoffs the road to Vegas. Like and, and every of, fan would want to win just for the Vegas. But, but think about it, mate. That may be, in some point, what this becomes. It may be that. And then why? Because of interest. You know, it, it's the market forces, right? People want it. There's demand. But all the other things, I see that IMG is doing a lot for the Super League in, in the UK. You've got the NRL. If people start to engage in this, products that they have, these apps, whatever they might be, that they see the game outside of market, that's a win. So, you know, again, these guys are way smarter than me. But if they are able to make that commitment over time, and if that doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be four teams next year from Australia, in my mind, right? It can be two from Australia, two from England. It can be the World Club Challenge with a couple of other NRL games, right? NRL game, the Super League, whatever it is. But I've seen it happen. I've seen that Vegas Rugby Union Sevens festival around it. They had 350 amateur teams come in, mate, and play around that tournament in a sevens. They were coming from all over the world. Why can't that nines event be that? Why can't over time? And then those players and athletes become fans and it, it, everyone puts it on their calendar. I'm coming to Vegas because it, it gets your attention, doesn't it? Rugby league in Vegas. It's like it, it does. It has the uh, maybe this is because I'm a boxing fan, but it has, you know, if it's Madison Square Garden it's in Vegas. Yeah. It's that's that's it, you know. I've got, I've got, I've got zero interest in going to Las Vegas, basically for Emma. anything. But if you told me, you know, Ricky Hatton's fighting Floyd Mayweather again tomorrow, on, yeah, yeah. Or if you said, you know, well, and we, do you know what? We've seen it here because the UFC is a new product. You know, relatively speaking, it's only been going since the nineteen nineties and only became mainstream what, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, it was, and but now we had at the time of recording yesterday, Volkanovski for um, yeah, that's right. And Robert Wigerford walking through Manly, the pubs were full. Cool. And it was full of people watching sport from the other side of the world on what is essentially a rubbish time zone. Yeah. And if you can create that for the NRL Grand Final or for the, yep. you know, for State of Origin, like I know we used to go and meet in a pub in Amsterdam and watch State of Origin at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But you can create that atmosphere. It's not inconceivable. Well, it's Super Bowl, right? You would they yeah. would buzz down in Sydney for the Super Bowl. What's that, 10 o'clock in the morning or something? 10 like yeah, it's not even. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so it, it can be done, and I just yeah, I don't know what my expectations are, other than you know, as a on a if I take my journalistic hat off, Manly wins. Like other yeah. than that, other than that, Tom Travois yeah. doesn't pull his hamstring. I'll be but happy like when they send the dragons out. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you have to win a few games first. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Where in terms of it's, there's part of me that always wants rugby league to expand and to be successful. And I think in terms of what that looks like, the the ultimate winner will be if, as Ray French used to say, if the winner on the day is the game of rugby league and more people see it, that to me will be success. Yeah. But I feel like we've had that before with, you know, people saw the game that the Kiwis played with England in Denmark, uh, in Denmark, in Denver. People yeah. saw these games before and it was uh, up like a rocket, down like a stick. Yeah. And it needs to be up like a rocket and down like a parachute and then back up again next year, if that yeah. makes any sense. Mate, and, and listen, I have some confidence in this, not because I have a personal relationship with it, but just an observer. The fellow that's in charge of the league down there, I, I think people thought he was crazy when he tried to take on the Melbourne Cup. And I've used that, you know, analogy with people over here and he built that Everest and he's turned into this massive horse race up against one of the biggest horse races in the world. So I think he uh, yeah, has a, a knack of finding something that he thinks can be a winner and then just drives it and drives it and drives it until it can be successful. So I think we're on that trajectory at the moment. Well, he do, if you look at his track record and whatever you think of people and as you can think of him, he has been very good at setting his mind to something and achieving it. And I think... What the actual he'll do it because he wants to do it for himself and for the NRL and for their members. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll inadvertently drag the rest of rugby league with it because you only need you know you're aware people who go to the Challenge Cup final they don't go because of who's playing they go because they love the Challenge Cup final and you'll yeah. end up with that I think where mm-hmm. you'll end up hopefully where in five years time it'll be the annual get together of rugby league in America which keeps those bonds going for another year I think that's got to be the hope right. And you think about it, it could, if it really, really does get sticky and has some success, it may end up being that there's two events, mate. There may be one in the start of the year and there may be one in October when things are all yes. said and done. You know, that yeah. World Cup challenge might find itself on a different date where it makes more sense to both of the teams that have just won their competitions, you know. Because I think there's conflict at the moment, right? It's hard to find the right time for, you know, Super League started, you know, really trying to figure it out who's coming in, what time, what day. I don't know. I know. By the time this comes out, people will know that we're going to beat the Panthers. But <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, I, 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 well, I think that's a whole that that might end up being another whole podcast of this where we go on what the World Cup challenge. Who is the World Cup challenge for? But um, yeah. on that note, David, thanks so much. And just as someone who's watched your work from since I was a little boy, like it's, I feel so happy for guys like you who I know have been around fighting a good fight in America for years and years and years. So I hope at the very least you have a great time and you uh, win a load in the poker tables and then. Manly win. Good on you, mate. No, I appreciate it. And best give my best to your family and uh, stay safe down there in that thunderstorm. Good on you. Uh-huh. Mate. Well, I think it's finished now. I might go out. <laughs> well, come on.